um, the disciples' prayer. If you will turn there, Matthew 6, verse 11. Matthew 6, verse 11. Will be our primary focus for this morning's message from the Lord. Before we begin, let us pray. We thank you, Father, for the word of your grace, which builds up your people. We thank you that we are the inheritors of your kingdom. We are the sons and daughters of light because of your grace. Teach us afresh and deepen our understanding from this text and related ones today. That we'll know how to pray in ways that please you, brings your blessing, glorifies your name. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. How to pray. Part 4. The disciples' prayer is God-honoring and God-exalting in its entirety. For its petitions... Seek to honor and glorify God's name. To see his kingdom come in all its forms. And his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. It is no less honoring and exalting to God when the shift in the prayer moves to request for our own needs. God our Father and his glory remain central. Because it is he and he alone who meets our needs. He is the one from whom all blessings flow to creatures here below. The first petition of the final three in the model prayer expresses our dependence on God our Father for the basic physical necessities of life. We understand that. We comprehend that without him, we wouldn't have what we need to continue to breathe, continue to have life on planet Earth. We know we depend on him. We're here this morning because of him. We have strength to worship him because of him. All that we have comes from his gracious hand. Our first heading and only heading for this message this morning is this, God our supplier. God our supplier. He supplies, you see the word there, bread. This is fundamental because if God does not sustain our lives, we cannot honor and glorify his name. We will not be able to advance his kingdom and do his will on earth. And that is why we are here on earth. To do those very things. You thought you were here for some other reasons. No, no, no. You wonder what is my purpose? Your purpose is outlined here in this disciple's prayer. God has already expressed it to us. He's already told us why we exist if you're a child of God. J.I. Packer writes, Those who pray the first three petitions commit themselves to live holy for God, and the natural and logical next request is for food to give them energy to do this. End of quote. Packer's right. 
We can't live for God without the energy, the strength that he gives us to do it. And food is the means whereby we obtain that which we need for our physical life. The physical then is in service of the spiritual. We do not ask for our needs to be met by our Father for the sole purpose of surviving. We don't eat just to live. We eat for him. To serve him. Rather, therefore, we recognize that it is for a greater spiritual matter. Jesus asked rhetorically in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Our life as believers is more than the physical and the temporal. Thomas Watson, a Puritan pastor, underscores this fact when he writes these words. Temporal things must be prayed for. For spiritual ends. Watson's right. We pray for physical things. And service to the spiritual. To the end. The goal. Spiritual things. Too many people however. Think the physical and temporal. Are the summum bunum of life. That is the highest good of life. Their prayers seem to reflect this. They seem to think it's all about me and all what I can get from God. It's all about my pleasures, my hedonistic bents and proclivities. That's what they think. James 4 3 deals with this when it says this. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. End of quote. Some people say, God, would you give me this? God, would you give me that? God, would you give me the victory in the lottery? God, would you do that? And God says, no. (laughs) Prayer is used by some for selfish, fleshly purposes, but God is not hearing it. He said, no, he won't answer that. He is not going to supply us for fleshly purposes. Those kind of prayers are not interested in God's glory. Not interested in his honor. Not interested in his kingdom. Their attempts to use God. They want to manipulate him. They think of him as some kind of great genie in the sky. Who can dispense from there what I want for my own personal pleasures. An example of this, if you think I'm just kind of being a preacher about this and saying that, no, 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 James 4, 3 says it. But we have in our day the example of the prosperity gospel. The word faith movement, which is infamous for this kind of approach to prayer. For their adherents and their proponents alike, this false gospel prayer's purpose is the release of physical, financial, and material blessing. It's all about the material. It's all about the physical. They wrongly, they unbiblically assert that God's aim for his people is to have an abundance of material things. Let me tell you, that idea, that thinking, that gospel, which is a false one, is sheer worldly materialism dressed in religious garb. Don't think something is right and from God just because people use religious or Christian words to attach to their ideas, philosophies, and religious talk. You have to look beyond that and say, what does the Bible say? You have to have discernment and say, no, 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 that's not what scripture says. That is not the gospel. That's just worldliness, worldliness, materialism. You see, they do not want God. 
They what, what, what they want is what they can get from God. They're not like the psalmist, Psalm 42, 1, who said, As a deer pants for the water brooks, my soul pants for you, O God. The, the psalmist, he was there, I, I want to come to where you are so I can worship you. I want you. He wasn't asking for stuff. He was asking, God, I want to be in your presence where I can worship you. My whole soul is panting for you like a thirsty deer at the water brooks. Significantly, the disciples' prayer, this prayer that people prayed, memorized, and many times a great portion of our life, this Disciples' prayer addresses the physical needs only one time. Only one time. Give us this day our daily bread. The rest of the requests are spiritual in nature. That ought to tell us a whole lot about the priorities that God sets for us in our prayer life. It's not that material needs aren't important, but they're subordinate to the spiritual for spiritual purposes. That's real praying, people. It's how you really pray. I've told you about the prosperity gospel recently. A Brooklyn man. You may have heard about this. Brooklyn, New York man. He labels himself a bishop. His name is Lamar Whitehead. He was robbed. Along with his wife. Doing a Sunday morning service. Now they, they robbed him. Of an estimated one million dollars in jewelry. They had that on their persons. For the life of me, I don't know why anybody <laughs> needs to be blinged out like that on a Sunday morning. This probably isn't worth $500. But this man was robbed there on the Sunday morning. The August 5th edition of the New York Times reported that the following Sunday, Bishop Whitehead was dressed in a Gucci suit. They're expensive. For those of you not knowledgeable of these things. Gucci shoes. He pre I see, you can see the picture. Go to the New York Times. Uh, you can see it online. He preached a lengthy sermon. Following the sermon, he invited the attendees to sow with donations beginning at $1,000 and $500. There were no takers. The amount then was dropped to $150. There was some movement. But the columnist for the Times reported that it's not clear just what was really collected. The bishop is all about money. He recently had a contract to buy a palatial $4.4 million house in Saddle River, New Jersey. That $4.4 million home includes a pool, gym, and a well wine cellar. It should be noted that he became a pastor. He was in prison for identity theft and fraud. He gets out of prison and says, I can't do that anymore because I don't want to go back to prison. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this. He didn't say this in the article. So, so what I'll do, I'll become a preacher. Because then uh, under false teaching, I can get all the money I want. 
New York Times columnist reported this, consulted with Princeton theology professor who described the bishop as a promulgator of the prosperity gospel. By the way, the bishop, I believe, drove the church in either a Rolls or a Mercedes. May I say to you, if you go to a church and you see a preacher driving up in a Rolls, you get in your ride <laughs> and go somewhere else. <laughs> Amen. Unless he can show you his financials that he was rich before he got into the ministry. Go somewhere else. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It's a gospel that means to satisfy a person's greed. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 teaches that greed amounts to idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 says idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. When people love money, when they want stuff and that's their God, as it says, that indicates that they don't know the Lord. When we ask for bread, when we say, as it, Jesus teaches us in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking him to meet our basic needs, not give us luxuries. Bread here is not talking about just a loaf of bread that you can get at the store. Bread represents not only food, but clothing and shelter. Matthew 6, 25 tells us this. 1 Timothy 6, 8 tells us this. Moreover, true spiritual wisdom is cognizant of the potential danger and damage that economic extremes pose. Iger knew this. Iger is an Old Testament individual. In Proverbs chapter 30, turn there with me, if you will. Proverbs chapter 30. You see this man's wisdom and how he prayed. Here's a man who wanted to honor God. A man who was concerned about God's reputation. And we see his wisdom that comes through in the words that are penned here and preserved for us in the word of God for our enlightenment, for our edification. Proverbs chapter 30, beginning at verse 7. He says, two things I ask of you, speaking to Yahweh, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. He wanted to be an honest man. But for our purposes, look what he says here. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That's like us asking for our daily bread. Why does he pray this way? That I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. The first part of this, who is the Lord, he was fearful of being independent. You know, when you have an abundance, there's that temptation to supplant God as your source of security and supply and say, who is the Lord? I don't need him. I have plenty. I'm secure. The other, here in this text, 
verse 9, the bottom of the verse, and profane the name of my God. He didn't want to dishonor God's name. He didn't want to injure his reputation. Because when those who profess to be his followers do not rely on him for their needs, but break his law to satisfy them, then it appears that they don't really trust and believe him. He didn't want that to happen. He wanted to honor God's name. You see that? How central God is. How important it is for this man who has real wisdom. He wanted to honor God in his economic life. That's why he prayed, God, just give me what I need. Because I'm afraid if you give me too much, I'm going to act a fool and say, who is God? If you don't give me enough, I'll break the eighth commandment and steal. That's wise praying. Now, I'm going to tell you something. True godliness is a means of great gain. Now, some thought godliness was a means of economic gain, and they used it in the first century just as they do today. Go with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. You'll see the, the truth here. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we want to locate uh, in our scriptures for just a few moments. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And you see the word of God here expounded from the pen of Paul as he gives us this. As he, in the context here, he's talking about people like Bishop Whitehead and others uh, whose train is too long to enumerate here who want to use the Bible and use God's people to enrich themselves. False teachers in the first century and the 21st. Verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, it says this, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by commitment, contentment, excuse me. You see, in verse 5, Paul, at the bottom of the verse, he says, There are those who suppose godliness is a means of gain. They're involved in the Christian faith for monetary purposes. And Paul contrasts that with this retort, but godliness actually is a we're getting out of it either. Covering with these, we shall be content. That's the reality for the Christian. If you have food and covering, if you have shelter, you have those basic necessities, you are to be content. Content means to be, means to be satisfied. It means to be saying, God, you've given me this, and I'm content with what you've given me. That's the idea. That's how we're to be in terms of material things. God, whatever you've given me, I'm content with that. You've supplied me. That's sufficient. That's godliness. That's putting God first. That's seeking to honor and reverence him. That's godliness. When you're content with what God has given you. In life. Can't y'all say amen? amen? I know in America, that's not how it is. But that's what it means to be a Christian. You're content. Some people say, well, I want to be rich. You need to do a Bible study on the dangers of pursuing wealth. Verses 9 and 10. And let me hasten to add, if God makes you wealthy, that's okay. But you're not supposed to be pursuing it. And God has made some Christians wealthy. He's done that for his own purposes. 
But we're not to be pursuing that. Because the inherent dangers pursuing wealth. We're to be content. We can trust him to meet our basic needs. Matthew chapter 6. You can go back there and you can see it. We can trust our Father in heaven to meet our basic necessities. He is able to do so. Matthew 6 verse 25. And we're going to exposit this text later on down the road. But for now, let's remind ourselves of it. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. For your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather in the barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Yes. If God will take care of some birds who are not made in the image of God, they're here today and they'll be gone soon and they are not going to some bird heaven. If God will take care of them, he'll take care of you. You're worth much more than they. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Nobody. There's this movie. A Bridge of Spies, inspired by um, true events back during the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. And they uh, exchanged uh, uh, spies. The Russian spy, when he'd be asked a question about certain things, uh, about worry in particular, said, would it help? He had enough sense to understand, no point worrying about it. Because worry doesn't help. For the child of God, we shouldn't ever worry because of who our Father is. Verse 29, Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Talking about the lilies of the field in verse 28. But if God so clothed the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He'll put clothes on your back. He's able to do that. He will meet that basic necessity. There's no need to worry. Charles Quarles says this, quote, Anxiety wrings its hands. Faith folds its hands. Anxiety paces the floor. Faith kneels on the floor. Worry is out of place for the child of God. God knows what you need. He knows what you need before you ask. He knows all about it. It says in Matthew 6 verse 8, So do not be like them that are talking about the people who meaninglessly repeat requests, the Gentiles, unsaved people, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The reason he wants us to ask because he has a relationship with us. He's our father, we're his child, and he wants to commune with us. So don't worry, just pray. Philippians 4, 6 and following tells us to do that. God is just not our creator. He is our father too. He has promised to supply our needs. He's a father to his children. Do that. You see it in Matthew 7. Earthly fathers do it, don't they? Good earthly fathers will take care of their earthly children. 
In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it says, asking will be given to you, etc. You know the text. It says, for everyone who asks receives, and so on. In verse 9, or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will it give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake, will he? No. If you then be evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? If an earthly father who's evil, sinful, can give to his earthly children good gifts, what do you think God will do? Who is not evil? Who is holy? Who is perfect? Who is loving? Who is gracious? After all, he's already done for us the greater thing. He has secured our eternal future. Will he not meet our temporal needs? It says here in verse 11, Matthew 6, give, give. The supplication reflects childlike trust. The basis of our confidence is that he will provide for his spiritual children. In fact, he's on record for doing that. So I was working on this earlier this past week or later sometime during the week it, as I was doing it dawned on me I remember what God did for Isaac in Genesis chapter 26 Isaac you remember the son of Abraham he was in the promised land and there was a famine so he thought about departing like his dad did and go somewhere else and God said no you stay right there in a land of famine and you know what God did he provided for Isaac there Isaac prospered in a land with a famine because God is able to do that. He's on record of being able to do that. Israel, you recall the story, there they are in the wilderness. I mean, they can't go down to McDonald's. They can't grow a vegetable garden. They're in the wilderness, a desert. A couple of million people, they've got to eat. What does God do? He serves them breakfast every day. And they said, what is it? That's what manna means. God fed them from heaven until they got in the promised land and there was food available naturally and they could eat. For all those years, he fed them every day. God is able to meet your need. David testified in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Psalm 37, 25. We say to our Father, give us this day our daily bread. The us there, who, who's that refers to those who are in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3, the poor in spirit, we've entered the kingdom of heaven. It refers to us, refers to beatitude people. It refers to those who are rightly related to God through faith in Christ. Guess who the us is? Hmm. Talking about children of God. This day, our daily bread. That This day implies a daily supplication to the Lord. We depend on him daily. And that was so important because the people in this, this day, when Jesus was speaking to them, it was like a daily situation with them to eat. He said, you trust God, your Father. He'll supply. But I know what you're probably thinking. 
Because some of you may be thinking, well, I have an abundance of food. My refrigerator is filled. My freezer is filled. My pantry is filled. And I don't know where I'm going to go eat after church. <laughs> I got this hot debit card. And man, I can just go... <laughs> But I, I get get me what I want. So why should I pray? Give us this day our daily bread when I got plenty of it, different kinds. <laughs> got bread for this kind of sandwich, bread for that kind of thing. So why should I pray? I'll tell you why you need to do that. Just like Iger, you need to remember. In Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. When God blesses, there is a danger. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You see, verse 17. God had the testament. Look what he says. Otherwise, speaking from about 16, why he was feeding the manna to test him. You may say in your heart, my power and strength of my hand made me this well. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. That he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day, to fulfill the spiritual aspect. It shall come about... If you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods, etc., God will testify against you. You see what the problem is? We need to remember where what we have came from. It is God who gives us the ability to obtain wealth. The job we have comes from Him. All of it comes from His gracious hand. And we need to thank him on a daily basis and even say, God, give me this day my daily bread. Recognizing you're the one from whom it comes. Lest I be tempted to think that I'm self-made because I have plenty. Deuteronomy 31, verse 20. For when I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, fertile land, is what that means, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn to other gods and serve them and spurn me and break my covenant. Here's the deal. The problem with prosperity is that contempt people are turn away from God. You, you need to remember where your blessing came from. When you uh, look into your refrigerator, say, thank you, Lord. When you have uh, whatever it is you eat today, thank him. Because he is the one who provided it. You say, well, I planted it. Yeah, right. Did you make the seed? Did you make it germinate? That apple you ate, did you create the tree? No. It's all from him. 
First Timothy six seventeen says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Fix your hope on him. Whatever he's given you materially, thank him and fix your hope on him. Understanding riches are uncertain. They don't last forever. Now you say, I'm praying. God, give me my daily bread. We are to work. Somebody might say, well, that's all I'm going to do. That's what I've been looking for. I just pray and let him do it. No, 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 no. One author correctly writes, quote, Praying for the necessities of life no more precludes a believer's, a believer's responsibility to work and earn a living than praying for the salvation of the lost precludes evangelism, end of quote. God will supply our needs through our labor. Right? You've got to work. If you don't want to work, don't come to my house. <laughs> you just don't want to work. So I, you know, I'd rather somebody else provide for me. Well, that's not the biblical position. For Christians, it says in Second Timothy, Second Thessalonians, chapter three, verse ten, all the way to verse twelve. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Now, let me tell you this. He is not talking about people who can't work. These people could have worked that didn't want to work. If you're able-bodied and you're a sound mind and you can work and you have a... Go do it. But don't say, I don't want to work. Well, you don't want to eat either. And then their situation is eschatological. Everything with Jesus is coming, so I'm just going to wait on him. Verse 11, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. That's what we're to do. Where to work. Believers do that. God's provision of life's basic needs do not mean or does not mean that there are no exceptions. The Old Testament hero, heroes found in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 36 were destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. There is a precedent for the fact that there are exceptions. Some believers may die of exposure or starvation. That happens to some believers. But until their time comes to die, those who remain faithful to the Lord will experience his care for them. You can count on it. You be faithful to him. He'll meet your basic needs in life. He'll keep body and soul together. And he's going to do it. 
He'll care for you. Let me conclude. We're here to do kingdom business. That's why we exist. When our allotted time on earth is done, our Father will bring us into his heavenly kingdom. Where we'll praise and worship him forever and ever. That's how you pray. Let us pray. Father in heaven, let this lesson grow deep, deep in our souls. We thank you that you're the God who supplies our needs. You take care of us. We can do the things you call us to do. We can be faithful to do those things because you are going to take care of us. We give you praise for it. You are a faithful father. You have all the, in your hands. and The cattle on a thousand hills belong to you. The gold and silver is yours. With no problem supplying our needs. Nothing on this planet can constrain your gr- grace. Inflation can't keep us from having our needs met because your God's greater than inflation. You're going to take care of us. We bless and praise your name for it. We pray for those who need their souls addressed. We pray you save them from their sin. Bring them to Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. We pray for those who need a church home. They will add, make this one their home church. All of these things we pray for your own glory and praise. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen.